Um, we have been doing this series on generosity. We're in probably the greatest season. I, I love this season that we're in right now. Um, what we just ended with was regifting hope. That was the last message in generosity on regifting hope. And so I want to really think about the concept of regifting things. And so the, the next, this message and, and maybe the next one after that are going to be talking about the regifting. And, and regifting things. And I think this morning what I want to talk about is I want to talk about regifting joy. See, last week when we talked about regifting hope, what I've come to realize is there's many people who find themselves in a hopeless situation. You know, you get in Christmas time and stuff like that, and you might have got laid off or companies are slowing down or different things and you're not having finances come in to take care of the family like you would like to. You might be in the construction field and, and, and there's no outside work being done because it's so cold. And so, you know, there's just different things that are going on and inside you feel a sense of hopelessness. And, and so the thing of it is, is when you refine hope and you find out where hope comes from, then you can re-gift it, but you can't re-gift something that you don't have. Okay. So today, in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 18, it says, in the ESV version, it says, My joy is gone. My grief, our grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. I mean, I think every single one of us at some point has lost joy. You know, some point in our life where we had joy, and it didn't matter what was coming up against us, but, you know, we, we were able to stand, and we were able to, you know, fight. We were able to, you know, just to, to, to be there, but... but but then all of a sudden something happened, Some, something came along the way, and it just kind of robbed our joy. Well, you know, I think of Amanda, and, and she's not here this morning, but Amanda, she just had a baby. And you could see the joy on her face. She's all excited. She just brought life into the, to the, to the world, and, 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 and it came out of her body, and just she, there's just so much joy there. But you know what? Nighttime comes. Some of y'all snickered because you know what I'm talking about. Because when you have to get up and you only get two hours, maybe three if you're lucky, of sleep, and you still have to go to work and you still have to do things, the joy starts getting drained from you because you get exhausted. So all of us have, have a chance to, to lose our joy. And now, you know, Thanksgiving's gone, and this, this is one of my favorite times. I know it's Alexa's favorite time because they have 25 days of Christmas playing, you know? Um, we have that going on. You have Christmas music. People are decorating their houses. But sometimes you just feel like the Grinch on the inside. You know? Everybody's having fun, but you're not. Well, I'll tell you, that's, that's most people. Most people are really not having fun at Christmas time. The ones who usually are having fun are the ones who don't look at what it costs at Christmas time. The ones who don't look at what they don't have at Christmas time, it doesn't, you know what I'm saying? I mean, those are the ones that it really affects. It's robbed their joy, but God has a joy, an everlasting joy, an ever-increasing joy, that if you tap into it, regardless of your situation, regardless of what's going on in your life, what's going to happen is you're going to be able to stand, and you're going to be excited to do so. I'm serious. I mean, I, I go through some rough times. And I don't talk to people about it. You know why? It's not because it's none of somebody's business or it is somebody's business. I don't talk about it because I'm not going to give glory to the negative. I'm not going to give glory 
to the devil. I'm not going to give good at all. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look at the good in every situation. Years ago, and I might have told this story, but I read it in a book, and Smith Wigglesworth, old uh, Pentecostal minister, I believe, evangelist, whatever, what he did is he was in this town, and like the evilest guy in the whole town died. And they all came to the, to the funeral, and they were looking at the funeral, and they were, they were all you know, saying whatever they have to say, and they're like, okay, he's never said a bad thing about anybody. He's like, what's he going to say? He looked at him and goes, man, he's got a nice set of teeth. See, you can always find something good to say. You just have to look for it. It's easy to find something bad to say. You don't have to look for that at all because it looks for you. Even if everything in the person is good, you'll find that one bad thing. Trust me, it looks for you. But now if there's an everlasting joy or a lasting joy, the question is, is how can we have it? How can we get this joy? Right? Well, you receive it through the first thing is the gift of salvation. I mean, it's got to start somewhere, right? It says in Luke 2, 8 through 11, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy. For all the people. So what we have here is we have an angel who's bringing a message from heaven to earth. Okay? And the message is, he says, I've got good news. And this good news, I mean, it's not just good news. It's great news. And it's going to bring great joy. It's going to bring joy to every people group. On the planet. And what's the message? He said, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So he was announcing to the world that there was going to be a sacrifice made on their behalf that will take care of all of their sin, past, present, and future. That's pretty good news. Oh, come on. You all know what you did during this week. You know how you was talking to people on the way to church this morning in your car. You know what I'm talking about. Don't don't get all holy on me. It's the truth. But Jesus took care of it. That's good news. That man, that wow, I feel good. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Jesus took care of it all. You know, that should excite us for no other reason. Just that he did it. And we didn't have to. He paid the price in full. You know, when I was a firefighter in Southern California, I'll never forget my first fire. You always remember your first and everything, right? So my first fire. We get called to the scene. See the house is on fire. I'm pulling a hose out, a line out. And then all of a sudden, you know, another firefighter comes on. He's pulling out. And we're getting ready to enter the building. And you don't enter a building standing up. See, because the BTUs are about 1,300 degrees when you're standing up. So you have to get down. And so 
you know, you get down on your knees and you, you come in like this and you've got a guy behind you, he's telling you 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock. And so you're just, he's looking for the glows and he's telling you where to go. And um, the thing of it was, before I got there, before we, we actually pulled the hoses out and everything, when we arrived on scene, there was a car there. It was DCS. And they were there to take the children out of the house that day. And they were there before the fire department. What had happened was the older son, the eight-year-old, I believe it was, poured gasoline on the bed his mother was sleeping on and lit it on fire. She burnt about 60% of her body with third-degree burns. We pulled her out. We pulled the kids out. The kids never got burned at all. But you know what? They needed a savior. They needed, they needed someone to save them because if they stayed in the predicament they were in, they were going to die. That's exactly what Jesus did. See, they needed not only to be saved from the house that was burning with the fire, but they needed, those children needed to be saved from an abusive situation with a mother who was abusing them. The, the mother needed to be saved from being addicted to drugs, and so she needed a savior, so everybody needs to be saved. So the first thing that has to happen in any situation is we have to realize to have this joy, we have to start with salvation. See, she could have no more joy had she got burned up in that fire. And really, when she came out of the fire, she wasn't having too much joy right off the bat because I don't know if any of you have ever been burnt before. Now, in the third degree session, all your numbness and everything's there, but it spreads out and it hurts uh, totally. She had to have so many skin grafts. She had to wear a certain uh, outfit. And, you know, I used to see her almost every day because her boyfriend lived about three doors away from my mother-in-law. And so she moved out of that house. She moved in with her boyfriend. And so I used to see her all the time. And, you know, the thing is, is we all need salvation. And salvation doesn't necessarily mean you have to be born again. That is, that is a part of salvation. But God wants to save you from other areas in your life. He wants to save you from addictions. He wants to save you from sickness and disease. He wants to save you from poverty, from lack in any area. Lack in, you know, when I, when I say poverty, you can have poverty not just in your finances. You can have poverty in your forgiveness. You can have poverty in your love walk. So when I'm saying poverty or lack, I'm not just talking about finances. Finances are really just a, a real small part of it because if you're impoverished in those other areas, it's those other areas that control your emotions, whether you can have eternal joy or not. Amen? Is this, is this okay? So like I said, Jesus came to do this. This is the price that Jesus came to pay. But this is the thing, is the world would have you think that you can buy joy. That joy comes in a package. You get your Christmas bonus, and you've got a little pack, a green pack of joy where you can go into the store and buy some more joy. No. You can't buy joy. You can't earn joy. And you can't win joy. Joy only comes, number one, it starts with the gift of salvation. And the only way it comes through is the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
So you have to have salvation. You have to be born again. It comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, the Bible says that he is the vine and we are the branches. And there's no possible way a, a branch can live or survive apart from the vine. So the only way that we're going to be able to have this joy present in our lives is we have to be connected to the vine. We need to be connected to Jesus because in order to, be, to have the presence of the Holy Spirit, it comes through a connection with Jesus. So we have to be connected to the vine. The Bible wants joy. He, uh, you know, it says that he wants joy, but we also sustain it. By, we need to sustain joy by this. Once we have it, I'm sorry. We need to sustain it by, sustain it by finding the right model. You know, once you have it, you have Jesus, born again, salvation. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's leading you. He's guiding you. He's living inside of you. He's leading you into all truth, into all understanding. So sustain it, you start with the right model. First Thessalonians um, 1, 6 says, You become imitators, or you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with a joy given by the Holy Spirit. You know, the Apostle Paul, he was a great model. And he was talking to some people that were going through some great suffering. And he was ministering to them, and he was, he was being that role model for them. But Paul had also said this, follow me as long as I'm following Christ. But what does that mean? It means the Messiah, Christ Jesus, he truly is the role model. And the thing of it is, is if you don't know the model, and, and, and you don't know who Christ is, and if you don't know these things about him, how are you going to know that you're following the right person? So many people follow a religion, or they follow a pastor, or they follow different people. But how do you know that that's the right person to follow? If you don't know your Bible, if you don't know the Word, if the Word hasn't become real to you, I'm not talking about religious to you, and I'm not talking about theological to you, but I'm talking about a real, present, alive being in you. If Jesus is not real, alive, present in you, how are you going to know? Who's the right model to follow? So we have to do this. We have to, we have to get into this. And then the next thing I need to do is I need to keep the right perspective. Philippians 4, 4 and 5 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That's the right perspective. We need to understand the Lord is near. If we truly understand the Lord is near, we have a reason to rejoice. But if we think, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that's the way most people think when they're going through problems and struggles and trials. They think that God's not around, but the Bible says he's near. And the only reason why we, can, we don't understand that he's near is because we're going through the problem, and as we're going through the problem, these voices are loud, yelling louder than the one that we can hear that belongs to him. So it's drowning his voice out. So when we get the right perspective, then all of a sudden those voices start drowning out, and we start hearing his, and his starts rising and elevating to the top. 
Another way to sustain our joy is this way. Facing your trials. James 1, 2, and 3 says this. Consider it pure joy. What? Pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whether, you're, whether you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith pr- produces perseverance. Nobody likes their faith tested. There's people say, you know, I want patience, but the way they say it is I want, I want it now. You know, you don't want patience. You want Burger King. You want to have it your way. You know, I mean, this is the deal. The deal is this, is when we face trials, when we face tribulations, when we face all these things that come against us, he said, count it all joy. Because as it's coming against us, and we stand, and we stand seeing the end from the beginning, the joy of the Lord rises up in us, and the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Years ago, and I know I've said this once before, um, there was a guy, Roger McDuff. You need to Google him and his hairdo. It's, it's, It's a helmet or something. But he had a song that he sung that was so awesome. Bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my fears. Bigger than any question, bigger than unbelief. When you take a look at all these, bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my fears, God is bigger than any mountain that I can, I cannot see. Bigger than any question, bigger than unbelief, God is bigger than any mountain that I can, I cannot see. See, if you take that and you take those words on the inside, and he's bigger than anything that you're going through, you can have joy. But if you don't see God bigger than your problem, you're never going to have joy. You have to see him bigger. Another way to, right perspective. So another way to sustain joy is counting your blessings. And this is the thing. You can get up, and you can say, well, I don't have a reason to be joyful. You got up, didn't you? You know, I mean, take a look at, you're breathing, aren't you? You know, you have an opportunity to bless somebody else, don't you? So that means you have an opportunity to be blessed back because we are blessed to be a blessing and God wants to bless us, right? I mean, so the thing of it is, instead of looking at all the negativity in, in the world and look at all the negativity around us, let's take a look at the good things that we have right now. And they might even just be little small things. But just if we would start changing our attitude from a negative attitude to a positive attitude, you might not change every person in the world, but you know what? You'll change your world. And if you change your world, joy will come up. That's how you sustain it. The Bible says in Psalms 126.3, it says, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. So when you realize how many great things he's done and he's done great things for you, it fills you with joy. I mean, that's what the Bible says. The next way to sustain joy, walking in obedience. And nobody wants to hear that one. You know, every time we hear that one, sit, roll over, stay. You know, I mean, we think of dog obedience school. But truly, in obedience to the Lord is something totally different. We don't obey him because we have to, because Jesus paid the price. So we don't have to. We obey him because we want to, because we love God. 
I don't cheat on my wife because I have to stay faithful. I don't cheat on my wife because I love her and I don't want to hurt her. So we don't disobey God because we have to and we think we're in fear of going to hell. We don't disobey God because we love him and we don't want to hurt him. Totally different message. See, that's not a hell and fire brimstone message. That's the message that Jesus has been trying to tell us ever since he came to the earth. It's not dot the I and cross the T. It's pierce the heart. When your heart is pierced, you're only going to do the things that you want to do to please your father. Period. Everything else doesn't matter. I mean, people come up to me, and, and I was talking to some, some people just the other night, and uh, one of them said, you know, Rick, he said, you're the most unjudgmental preacher I've ever met in my life. I said, well, good. That's not my job. Thank God it's not my job because there are some people that might not make it. I'm not talking about any of you in here. I'm just talking about the guy that cut me off coming here. You know what I'm saying? Send fire down, you know. Zap them, Lord, get them. But the Bible says in John 15, 10, 11, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So if there's some areas in your life where your joy is not complete, maybe we were not in obedience in those areas. The Bible tells us that obedience is better than sacrifice, right? Think of some areas in your life. Maybe it could be your marriage, your finances, your health. Maybe on the job. Maybe at school. Maybe with friends. Maybe you know. Maybe you compromise obedience in some of these areas, and in, and so you're struggling. You're you're wondering why things aren't happening because you're going to church and you're you're doing this and you're doing that. But but maybe because you're just not tapped in to this obedience part because the way you're looking at it is sit ubu sit. When you shouldn't be looking at it at that aspect. You should be looking at it as as God created me a clean heart. I I just, I mean, I'm struggling in some areas. Holy Spirit, show me where I'm not walking right. And and when he shows you, God, man, that's hard. Yeah, it is. Because you're trying to do it in yourself. God, take me out of the picture and and lead me and guide me and, and teach me. Show me how to walk right. And he will. Now, you might have to burn up some pride. What do you mean? Tell a few people you lied to them? Oh, isn't that a good one? You know, I mean, you don't have to just go chase them down. You'll find them because they'll go, hey, you dude, you remember when? You're like, no, that didn't really happen. <laughs> really good on your flesh. I guarantee you if you really do that for real and you get your heart right, all of a sudden joy will start coming up in your life. Because you know they've been lying to you the whole time. They're just not going to admit it. The next thing is maintaining focus. You need to maintain focus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says this. It says, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. 
So in other words, we need to stay focused on Jesus, you know, because he paid the price and he took all the suffering of mankind. Um, he, took it, he took it at the cross. He became a propitiation is what the word says. It goes on to say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. The only way he could have joy in that situation is he was able to see the end from the beginning. You have to stay focused on the end game. If you're not focused on the end game, you'll get lost in between. You won't have any joy. You won't have any this. I'm telling you, in my life, in the 50 years I've been alive, in in the time that I can recall that I can think, it it hasn't been perfect and rosy and, and everything like that. What keeps me going? Seeing the end. Keeping my eyes on the prize. Keeping my eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. That's what keeps me. Stay focused. Trust me, I see a lot of bad people. But just because I'm around a lot of bad people doesn't mean I have to be a bad person. I can love them and I can be nice to them in spite of who they are. It's not about them. It's about Jesus. Hmm. The last way to sustain your joy is praying expectantly. I really like what you had to say, Misty, because there was a scripture that I, I'm using that, that's right there with what you said. It's John 16, 24. Well, that's not the scripture. The one that I was going to use next is, Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Do you realize that when you ask, you receive, and your joy is then so it's a confident expectation that when you ask, God is going to answer. Okay, here's the deal. You might have asked and said, I've not received. Don't leave. You might not like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Okay. Number one, it might not be in the realm of God's word. What you're asking might be outside the confines of the Word of God. Something that's not covered by the Word. Okay? Number two. Might not be the right time. Now you think it's the right time because you want it now. You know when you go over to the Harley shop? Rocky? Mark? Bob? When you go to the Harley shop and, and you want that Harley now, it's a good thing God brought a good woman to be with us. Because we'd be walking out the door with that Harley now in debt up to our eyeballs trying to keep up with the Joneses. So it might not be the right time. It doesn't mean God doesn't want you to have it, but there's a timing involved. And, and people would be like, well, why would God say, you know, it's a Harley Davidson? Because you like it. God loves you. I mean, why? when I was a kid, my parents got me rock'em, sock'em robots. Why? Because I liked them. They weren't godly, but they were fun. <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Head goes up. <laughs> yeah. And if my head kept going up more, you were cheating. My game, I, won- I had to win. Anyway, number three. You can't have doubt of any kind. What? 
Let me say that again. You cannot have doubt of any kind. Don't let a man think that he's going to receive anything from the Lord when he has doubt because he's tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You cannot have doubt of any kind. But more than likely, why you probably didn't get what you asked for is you probably had doubt. I told you you weren't going to like it. But it's the truth. You can't have doubt of any kind. How do you know? Because that's what the Bible says in James. Read it. Of any kind. You have not because you ask not. Well, the parameters and the rules to asking is you have to have faith, having a confident expectation to believe that you received what God has already opened up to you. He said you have not because you ask not. We need to ask. Why? What happens when we ask and we receive it? Our joy is complete. It's full. That's good. I'm serious. That's good stuff right there. Ooh, man. All right. Start the car. <laughs> I got to go out the back door. I think, you know, getting in trouble over here. <clears throat> See, God knows you better than anyone else. He has a destiny for you. He has a plan. He has a purpose for you. And he wants to give you everything that you are asking for. He wants you, but he, does, but he wants you to ask for things based upon the relationship that you have with him because you love him. He loves you. You're not going to ask for something stupid. Look, just because I might have been an alcoholic at some point in time, when I got born again and I started loving God, I'm not going to say, God, give me a gallon of tequila. Hallelujah. That's just stupid. It's dumb. I mean to ask God for that. Now, am I saying it's wrong to have a gallon of tequila? No, it's only wrong with what you do with it. You know, like if you drink the whole thing in a night, you're going to die. Possibly, I guess. Have you drank a whole one in a night? I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just asking. I've not done that. You know? Is it making you act like a fool? Then, okay. God's going to give you the things that you ask for, and you're going to ask for the things that you know that are going to connect with him. Amen? Because he wants your joy to be full. Amen. So, we receive it by what? We receive it by salvation and the Holy Spirit. We sustain it by finding a great model, keeping the right perspective, facing our trials, counting our blessings, walking in obedience, maintaining focus, praying expectantly, and then once you have it, now you can regift it. See, you can't regift something you don't have. You can't have it unless you're born again and unless the Spirit of God is presence in your life, present in your life. If those two things that don't happen, then you can't sustain it because you don't have it. And then once you have it, then you learn how to sustain it. And then once you sustain it, now you can learn how to give it. 
So I regift it, number one, when I share my story. Psalms 119, verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. So the things that the Lord has done in your life, that's the testimony. That's the, that's the joy of the Lord. That's the, that's the heritage. That's, it's what the Lord's done in your life. Amen? That's what you're going to be remembered for. It says in uh, Revelation 12, 11, they triumphed over him. That's talking about the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And that's because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It says they did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. Do you know when you give your testimony, it makes you vulnerable? Because the moment you give your testimony, everybody's put their eye on you. They've identified you as something, and they're going to see if you, get, if you mess up. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants you to shrink back. Like the word said, these guys did not shrink back. He wants you to shrink back because once you mess up and once you, all this stuff happens and guilt and condemnation and all these things come your way, you start forgetting who Jesus is and the price that he paid. Instead of just saying, hey, look, I messed up. And move on. Look, if you think you're not going to mess up, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. You're going to mess up. But it's okay. Don't get into guilt. Don't get into condemnation. Don't shrink back. Stand up. See, what happens is you become real vulnerable. Then the next and last point is I can regift joy when I sacrifice for someone else's. So when I can sacrifice for someone else's joy, it's a, it's a way to get regift joy. Well, pastor, how can I do that? Well, number one, your time. You can. There's single parents, even right here in this room, that are struggling, trying to get daycare and things like that, and and they they they're working at night, and they're that some of them, you know, getting ready to lose jobs and stuff like that, and and they just can't afford uh, uh, childcare, and we could regift. By filling in that time. Regift joy. I'm telling you, this is an actual need that I've actually just heard this week, or this last week. Today's the first day of the week. You're going, hoo, 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 hoo. Well, talk to Janice and tell her you were willing to do something like that, and then we'll talk to you about who. Amen? There's senior citizens in Plaza Towers in different areas that, that would love to have some young people come over or anybody come over just to spend some time with them because maybe their family has kind of left them aside. Regifting some time. There's some teenagers that have horrible parents that really just need a dad or a mom to come alongside of them and just believe in them and you know just encourage them. Gifting our time. So not only can we sacrifice time for someone, but number two, you can sacrifice your talent. I'll tell you, some people, you don't have any money, and you, you, your car's broke down, and, and I might be a mechanic. 
So I can re-gift my time to fix somebody's car. Maybe I'm a contractor. Maybe I'm an electrician. Maybe You know, just fill in the gap. But I can re-gift that time into someone's life. I can re-gift that talent into someone's life. And last but not least, re-gift your treasures. We've gone through this scripture a couple times in this series. I'm going to end right here in this scripture. It says in 2 Corinthians uh, 8, 1 through 4, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So when I look at this scripture, it says it 